So this week, we are doing something a little bit different because we are on break and preparing for season two, which we're super excited about. We're going to be changing things up a little, doubling down on the stuff that we thought really worked, and trying out some new things that we think you'll really enjoy. This week, we are doing an interview. Uh, We interviewed each other and edited them together into episodes, and so that you can learn a little bit about me and Henry. So hopefully, you'll enjoy those. Uh, Who the fuck are you? Who am I? Good question. (laughs) Your worst nightmare. Um, (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, good question. I'm just this fucking weirdo who lives in LA. I don't really have a day job. I have a bunch of different freelance. What's some of the freelance work that you do? Yeah, so I will rewind slightly. So basically, I went to school... As a kid, as a teen growing up, I basically had, like, one set of interests and one talent. (laughs) Those interests were movies, usually, like, studio Golden Age Hollywood movies, like, beginning of film to, like, 1960, and that one talent was writing. So I was, like, I had the shittiest grades, I do not perform well in academic environments because of autism, and also just because of my learning style is very, very weird, and my brain is very weird. And if I don't understand something, namely like math, science, I cannot understand those things. It is impossible. Even English, like, even though I've always been like a really strong reader, like if something does not get my interest, I just will not focus on it and I'll just do badly. So I was like, okay, the only way I'm going to get into college is like by writing a kick-ass essay. And NYU had like started their cinema studies department, I think like a few years earlier, I'm not sure. But I applied to that, got in, had a horrible experience. Don't go to NYU. If you're listening, just don't do it. It's not a... People get things out of it. I was not one of those people. It's basically just huge and alienating and they just throw you... You're 18 and you're living in New York and you don't have any money, and it's impossible to make friends because it's New York. Everybody's doing their own shit. So NYU sucked. Um, Cinema Studies Department absolutely sucked, but that kind of like remained my interest, and I continued to watch all these movies and think about them deeply, and I was very interested in gender in the classical age, and if anyone's familiar with like any movie from (laughs) the 30s, 40s, 50s, like gender roles are extremely rigid, and um, women are not ever really given agency, like there are a handful of films and obviously really strong actresses from that era, but for the most part they are films made by men for men. And at NYU I stumbled upon this semi-famous paper by a woman named Marianne Doan, who is a uh, feminist film scholar kind of along the lines of Laura Mulvey, who came up with female gaze, that kind of thing. And she wrote this paper being like, basically every Hollywood studio system movie transgenders the viewer, if the viewer is female, because they sort of assume that you're male, every shot is oriented to like the male point of view, every woman has to be framed and seen as a love interest, not ever just like a person on her own. So basically, if you're female and you're watching these movies, you're basically being forced to have a male perspective. And I found that very fascinating. And that discovery sort of led me to figuring out that I was trans, even though I'd literally been like dressing as a male since I was like four years old. Like (laughs) I was like wearing clip-on ties and like dressed as Groucho Marx for several Halloweens and just like was always having like 
male role models and like want, went by male names and whatever, but I just literally did not know the word trans. And I grew up like in the town where Smith College is based. So even though there were a lot of like trans discussions or discussions about like the reality and rights of trans people around me, I was usually hearing them filtered through like a turf voice because there are tons of older lesbians in Northampton where I grew up and many of them are cool, many of them are TERFs. And the people on the board of Smith College are often very TERF-leaning as well. So so I came out like early junior year and sort of oriented my studies toward more like gender studies and cinema. And then when I got out of college, I got this job at this magazine called Bullet, which is no more. And it was like kind of an arts and culture magazine. And it got me, it sort of like gave me confidence in a weird way where I was like, oh, I can actually be a writer. Like I can do this. Cool. And from there, I just sort of like continued to do freelance shit and like just pitched a bunch of places and got some stuff like in the New York Times and on the New Yorker website and the Paris Review and was doing that. And then I was in New York and then I moved to Boston for a year and then I moved to LA like in 2016 after I went to McDowell and I've just been like, doing freelance stuff. So currently I am a contributor for them.us and I write some stuff for like New Now Next and like Gizmodo and lots of like random queer websites and I have some fiction out there and yeah, I came out and then I was like doing all this freelance shit and sort of like gradually I've been like finding ways to merge my two primary interests, which is which are being trans and being very interested in cinema and on a more cerebral level, I suppose, like the, I'm very interested in the mechanics of like the very earliest cinema and sort of what the, how cinema changed society and how it sort of like structurally changed the way that we take in images and information which is like, obviously I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't really know anything about this, but like Kuleshov effect, like that the way that like editing can manipulate us into feeling emotions is very interesting to me, like as propaganda and also just as fiction storytelling. Yeah. So yeah, that's my <laughs> day job. I'm also so unemployed all the time. I'm always just barely scraping it together. But again, writer's life, fairly normal. What's one of your favorite things you've gotten to write? I did. I wrote this really long piece about my dad's best friend growing up, who was a gay man named George. He was like the only out gay person I kind of had in my life. And he had just sort of disappeared at a certain point and later died from, I believe, cancer. But yeah, it was just this really weird situation of like, my dad and him were best friends and then something happened and George sort of had to like retreat and then like, only connected back with my dad like right as he was dying and yeah it was just like a very sort of tragic life um but he always fascinated me because i'm like oh like why didn't i have any queer people in my life growing up like nobody in my family no friends really no like elders like nothing so i really liked writing that i did an oral history of like the early trans internet last year which was really interesting what brought you to this moment in your life and your career? So I basically have been realizing that I think like once you buy whatever, however you come to this information, like once you figure out what you actually want to say, you're sort of like ready. So it's taken me a quite long time 
to figure out concisely what I've wanted to say. And I realized that that that's because like for the majority of my history on this earth, the culture has not quite been where I am. And I think for queer people, that's pretty common because it's like, wait a minute, but I'm queer and I'm a human being. Or like, but I have a vagina and I'm a human being in culture. It's like, excuse me, you silly idiot. No, like, I think I just like from a very early age and basically like as a little kid, I would sort of like situate my transness within like a rebellion against what I saw as like femininity, even though it was like very bad politics, but I was like a little kid. And I was just basically like, girls can't do anything. I don't want to be a girl. I want to be able to have a career and a relationship. Like, I basically thought that, like, no options were available to me if I was a woman. And I now realize that that's because, like, I just was not that. Like, <laughs> of course, I couldn't see a future because I'm not that person. But as a kid, I was just like, no, like, boys are cool. And meh. so, like, it was a lot of going through that and trying to distance myself from, like, feminism and all of that. And then at a certain point, I realized, like, no, feminism wants exactly what you want. Like, you just want a world where, like, gender doesn't fucking matter so much and it doesn't imprison people the way it does. And it doesn't, like, literally hurt people and put them in jail and get them fucked up the way it does. Like, I just want a world where it's not so crazy to be, like, a they-them. And, like, when I came out in, like, 20... 2009 and I like told my parents and my friends and like used they them pronouns like everyone fucking laughed at me they were like what are you talking about like that's crazy and now like 10 years later that's like the norm so I think it's been a lot of just like delayed progress and I've sort of been waiting for this moment where the culture is sort of like ready to hear stuff and I think that means that I'm now ready to be like yeah I just want to talk about like how transness is fucking pervasive in every culture. Like, it exists. It's a huge, like, important part of history and part of culture and part of, like, everything that we think about and understand in terms of history and in terms of culture. Like, trans people are integral and important and fascinating and trans stories are literally everywhere. And, yeah, I feel like now I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, that's what I've wanted to say forever and I've only now been able to, like, put it into a sentence which feels really good and obviously the podcast is like a huge part of that so when did you start to get interested in queer and trans history culture and activism so basically during my first job at this magazine because it was like a really it was just a classic toxic workplace like i've never really worked at a place that was not toxic on some level which sucks but it's kind again if you're capitalism. a freelancer, capital, yeah. If you're a free, if you work at all in the arts, if you work in nonprofit, if you're just a writer or whatever, most workplaces will try to milk you dry until you have burnout and then throw you away. And that's the world we live in. <laughs> so yeah, this workplace sucked and I was way, way the only trans person there. And like, I've, for most of my life, I've been the only trans person in any given environment, like until recently, essentially, where it's like, I'm the only trans person in the workplace, so, like, nobody fucking knows how to address me. Or, like, I'm, like, the only person who will stand up to, like, other toxic gay people. Like, at this magazine was, like, ma mainly gay men, like, cis gay men, and, like, straight, cis straight women. And there was this really toxic situation, and it was, like, 2010, 2011, where, like, the men would just kind of come up and, like, 
grab women's like breasts or like put their hand under their skirt and i'm like they're like it's fine i'm gay i'm like no it's not okay if you're gay like that is assault my dudes and they're like no but i'm not like interested like i'm like it's not whether you're interested sexually it's like don't fucking touch people like it's not that hard so it was very much like that it was very much like what's the problem like that kind of shitty environment and there was this one moment we were doing an issue where we were talking about, I think, Cloud Atlas, which came out in 2011, and Lana Wachowski had just come out, and they kept writing the Wachowski brothers, and I was like, it's the Wachowskis, like, please get it right, like, this is important. And, like, round after round of edits, it was unchanged. Charlie doesn't, like, Piss Charlie hates transphobia. That's right. <laughs> I taught him well. Yeah, I was, like, round after round, I'm like, really? Like, who's fucking with me? And I just, like, lost it. I was like, who the fuck is this? And there's like, we just didn't see your edit. I was like, it's been around seven times. Like, why? What is... And, like, that same issue, we did, like, a huge spread on, like, oh, who's that awful fuck... Uh, Harmony Corinne, who, like, had just done that stupid James Franco movie where it was just, like, seemed like the most, like, rapey, exploitative movie ever. And I was just like, I fucking hate this culture so, like... Why, if this is what it is to like work in magazines, or, and also like it was a culture where like they would just be photoshopping uh, models and like talking about these women, be like, she's too fat, like take that off, like ugh, she make her boobs big, like it was that kind of environment where you're just listening to like women's bodies being discussed in the most brutal, disgusting ways, and you're just like, fuck this. So that sort of like galvanized me to like not only like sort of like start to push people with my queerness, but also like become like radically feminist because I was like this is fucking disgusting and like all you people are the problem and again like only now the culture has like decided that like rape is bad sort of like we still haven't quite made up our minds because like rape culture is a huge thing but yeah it's something that definitely like made me realize that there are a lot of situations where literally no one else is going to stand up for your humanity and you have to do it for yourself. And if possible, you have to do it for like other people in the workplace for better or worse. So that's sort of how I got started to be like explicit with stuff. And also I had to get over a lot of shame. Like I had like deep, deep shame about being trans or being queer or whatever, because like in 2009, 2010, like the scene was bleak. Like I would go to these... I would go to the New York LGBT center and go to like, like transmasculine spectrum drop-ins. And it was like, I couldn't really like understand where I fit in this community. Cause it was like everyone dressed a certain way and had short hair and they all had like a long-term girlfriend and they were all attracted to women. I was like, well, I don't even belong here then. Cause like, I'm just a weirdo freak who like doesn't seem to like fit in this place with these people. And then I sort of like got over that and just, like, grew up and stopped having so much shame, and that also made me able to, like, write about my shit and talk about it. And Yeah, one thing that reminded me of is, because I've, I don't know when this will come out, this might come out next week, but I just spent, in the now time, I just spent the last week at Ava's, and we've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race, which I have such complicated feelings about that show. It's a complicated Actually, show. I don't have complicated feelings about that sh- show for the most part. I actually think that show is pretty great. I have complicated feelings about RuPaul. RuPaul himself, And I have yes. complicated mm-hmm. feelings about the limited perception of drag. But one thing I've yes. been thinking about a lot this week is how not varied 
gender variance was 10 years mm-hmm. ago, because that show came out in, like, 2009. Yes. Um, And there were, first of all, there's always been trans and non-binary people involved in drag, but if you just look at RuPaul's Drag Race, until this last season, yeah. <laughs> there's not been trans representation. There's been people who were able to come out later, but that show has, like, the most narrow depiction of gender variance. It's like, yep, there's... Right. There's... Women and men and drag queens. And all of our drag queens are basically the same gender. And that's just really upsetting. Gottmik, though, is amazing, obsessed. Love it. And then Gigi Gottmik. Oh, okay. But that's, like, this most recent season. And then Gigi Good from the last season is great. And then there's all the other people who inevitably will come out later or who came out over the years. Yeah, Peppermint. I Feel like Peppermint was out, and like, well, like Carmen Carrera got mixed the first open, right. openly trans performer while they were on the show, right. and um, for yeah. Anywho, now we're way off topic. We should talk <laughs> about that on the podcast, though. We'll do yes a, when this oh season's over. We'll do a God a Got Mix yes. episode of the podcast. But amazing. yeah. There was yeah. such little variance so in representation yeah. in queer spaces. Or right. even, like, Sugarland, which was right. my go-to <laughs> Brooklyn trash bar, and had, like, some of the wildest queers I saw at that time, was also, like, five nights out of the week. Just a bunch of, like, cis gays all yeah. wearing the same shirt. Yeah, and that was, like, a very big component also of, like, when I, like, was entering the workforce in New York, like... At this magazine, everybody wanted to go to this club called The Box, where literally, like, you would go and, like, just see someone, like, fuck themselves with a dildo, <laughs> which, like, is great. But, like, personally, I'm kind of like, mm, I'm looking for something a little bit more. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, like, that doesn't shock me or, like, really sound that interesting to me. Like, I'd love something more, like, connected or what, like, yeah, it was just still very, like shock and awe and like things have changed quite a lot were you with me that one did you go to a drag show with me at sugar land ever i think so actually were you there at the time where they like recited the poetry and like tore apart their garbage dresses yes and like spread blood on stuff because i think about that a lot that was like very formative and me is like wow this is what (laughs) this is queer like everything else i've seen in this gay bar right suddenly i'm like that's normal what right. I just saw here was queer, um, and yeah. I just go to that a lot. Moving on, because I'm terrible at interviewing. Um, You're doing an excellent job. How has queer and transness affected your work and the projects you choose to do? Well, it affects a lot of my work because I write for like largely queer publications and usually have to like craft queer pitches and like for a long time I was editing this like gay newspaper for LA and I've like worked at this queer men's magazine and like everywhere I go there are queer people at work essentially not usually trans people but always like queer people and yeah it's just sort of like what's on my radar I guess and like especially with trans stuff it's like literally playing fucking whack-a-mole because every day there's a new bullshit bill that's like kill trans kids like literally every fucking day in some state in this country there's another like truly dastardly bill that like concerned parents of america like there's just always like last before i left for the holidays there was this fucking billboard for irreversible damage on sunset 
like in front of the children's mm. hospital. And it was just like, okay, well, now we have to get this shit taken down. But it's just going to pop up and stuff. Like, it's just like the day-to-day, like, dealing with. And, like, every time I, like, do my contributor job at them, it's like, oh, like, good morning. Here are two trans women who were brutally murdered. Can you write about them? And I'm just like, Like, it's just everywhere. It's every day. So it's kind of like, at this point, like, it's... Yeah, like, that's the stuff that's on my radar, because it's, like, national fucking news doesn't seem to care. Yeah, it's, it's like, very much up to us to, like, be aware of this shit, and that sucks, because the burden shouldn't be on us, but for better or worse, it is. What are some books and shows that shaped you as a kiddo? So, definitely, like, every Howard Ashman Disney Renaissance movie, as we've already <laughs> discussed... Um, fully obsessed with Ursula, fully obsessed with Jafar, it, just every queer-coded villain, which is every Disney villain. Like, I like I had a thing as a kid where, although I didn't have the words for these things, I instantly knew which character in a movie was, like, the character that I could relate to. So, like, basically what we're doing, like, uh, in Singing in the Rain, like, Donald O'Connor's character, who's literally, like, doing a backflip up a wall and dancing with a mannequin, I'm like, that man is queer! That man is a flaming homosexual, and I want to be just like, like, even if it was like a Hollywood movie or like a cartoon or a musical, there's always like a sidekick character that I could identify that I was like, that's me. That's my guy. And some, there are some very rare films, usually comedies, that like, as a kid, I was obsessed with like finding a story that makes the sidekick the hero. And I would, like, kept trying to figure out the mechanics. I was like, okay, so does the- you have to start out with one hero and then the hero dies, the sidekick takes over. But, like, how do they not lose their sidekick juice? Because, like, I didn't want the sidekick to be diluted by, like, a traditional romance or whatever. Like, I wanted them to stay, like, the funny, like, gay, weirdo sidekick who's just, like, there to be cool and interesting. And I thought- I- it's, like, a very hard question still- but there is a Danny Kaye movie called The Court Jester that I think does this just admirably, like perfectly, where he is just basically this gay man let loose in medieval Europe. <laughs> and he becomes, and it's like a like imposter comedy where he has to pretend to be somebody else. And then they have like, which I fucking love those movies, like cannot get enough. Any body swap, identity swap shit was always like, I was there. So that movie... Uh, the movie of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which is a musical that I just adore <laughs> so much. And the movie is highly problematic on several levels, but Zero Mostel, the actor who played Pseudolus, also originated the role of Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. He, like, I saw that man and I was just like, that is what I want to be. Like, I want to be that, like, large, like, big like, visibly Jewish, like, can do crazy fucking sounds with his voice, man, who, like, surpasses gender. Like, to me, like, certain people surpassed the limits of traditional masculinity and femininity, and I was always just like, you and me. It's you and me. So, like, those things... So, yeah, it's usually a sidekick or a villain or, like, a quirky whatever, but then sometimes you have, like... A musical where it's just this goofy dude kind of walking you through the things he wants and like in forum he just wants freedom like he all he wants is to not be a literal slave anymore and that is his goal and like in the court jester he just kind of wants to get out of harm's way but he can't and there are many movies like this and i love them all and they just gave me the sense of like 
you can find freedom from the trappings of gender and like it's actually not as hard as society makes it out to be like you can achieve that for yourself and find it in media so yeah those those are like two texts that i keep returning to also also like arthurian legends and like epic poems <laughs> like books about like sort of books about male bonding which like the arthurian legend to me is 100% that like about like very sweet kind masculine society as opposed to like violent i mean they are violent cuz they're knights they kill people but yeah that stuff i love i mean i have a really off topic question i want to ask but i'm not going to ask Ooh, no, it no go for it have you seen the trailer for The Green Knight yet on the topic of Arthurian legends? No. Wait, a new version? They're, yeah, they're adapting. It's like an A24 Ooh. thing, which makes yes. me wonder if they're going to change the ending, because the ending of that doesn't line up with like an Ari Aster-style horrible psychological traumatizing right. thing. But, well, um, some, but yeah, some they're making it. It looks like it's going to be really good. It's David Lowry is directing it, and Dev Patel is Ooh. starring it in as, it as a... Gawain? Yeah. Sick. Oh, yeah, it's, it looks really... The trailer looks really amazing. Um, nice. That's so off topic, but we're leaving it in because yeah. I'm going to take a similar approach on editing this. Is he? Yeah, I love him. I think he's a fascinating character. Um, I hate Lancelot. I think he's so obnoxious and shitty and a fuckboy. But Gawain... Love him. And all Gawain's brothers I also love, because they're fantastic. I think my favorite Knight of the Round Table is probably one of... Uh, so in, like, the Welsh Arthurian legends, there's, like, three Guinevere's. I'm not sure if that's in, like, the more English ones, but there's three Guinevere's, and one of their dads is just, like, this very, like, big knight guy. <laughs> he's from the... He's basically from, like, the other world. um, The, like, fey world. Anywho. What is your ultimate goal in life. I think it is to, at this point in time, just be like, just like basic stability. And like, <laughs> I just literally like 2019 was such a shit show because like my friend died and I had a breakdown and I moved back home with my parents and then I got back to LA and COVID started. <laughs> and then it was just like unemployment and depression for months and months. And now I'm just like, you know what? All I want is just to feel like rooted and feel stable. And that is an achievable goal. So right now, like, yeah. that's what <laughs> that's what I'm heading toward. I'm like, yeah, let's get some nice, like, normal, not feeling like you're always about to be like evicted or like, you know, like broke or like, yeah, the absence of those worries would be nice. Yeah, I want that for you. <laughs> It'll happen someday. Are there listener shareable things that you do to keep rooted that are, like, helping you move towards those goals? You can also just be, be like, I don't want to talk about that. Well, yeah, actually, I find that this is obviously not the case for everyone, but personally, I really am a big fan of routine. Routine really, really, I find helpful. I know for a lot of people it's stifling and it doesn't work for them, but personally, like, once I realize that I need to know how every hour of the day is filled makes me actually like a much healthier and productive person. And like, even I enjoy reading, but I will not do it on my own unless I like force myself. So I'm like, you have to read for an hour every day. You have to put your phone in another, an another room and just do it. And like that kind of stuff, or just like sitting and like listening to music without any compulsion to like be productive. Like I'm trying to sort of create a separation between like, 
you need to be productive and like you can just like enjoy life and take in art because I think for a long time and many people struggle with this it's like you always feel like you need to be doing something at every single moment of the day to like progress yourself or get yourself to where you want to be but like truly that is a recipe for burnout and I think having just like creating rituals can be like, even, like, during COVID, I've gotten into taking baths, and I never fucking used to do that. Baths are the shit! Put some Epsom salts in there? Forget it! It's amazing! Like, no one told me that baths were great. So, yeah, I, I recommend baths. And I recommend, like, if you get one of those things that, like, props, like, holds a book so you can read in the bath, and you can also put, like, your vapes down in one compartment and, like, a bag of Doritos. Uh, yeah. Full-on yeah. <laughs> snacks in the bath. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Love me a bath snack. Bath snacks. The best. Bath wine? Forget it. So good. Forget it. The best. What's your favorite bath snack? My favorite? Lately, I really enjoy Ruffles jalapeno ranch chips. I'm a Ooh. chip connoisseur. Those are... Oh, yeah? Yeah. But my favorite, actually, are uh, the all-dressed variety, which they don't always sell. I don't know why. Because they're the best flavor. I love them. And I think they're originally Canadian. Yeah, I think that's a regional thing. I think they have it in, like, Canada and the Northeast. I don't think Americans like it very yeah, much. we don't. Yeah, except for me. This American fucking loves it. And every day I'm like, oh my god, are they going to have the chips that I need at the store? And they never do. But Jalapeno Ranch is really good. Um, I recommend dipping it in salsa. Also in the bath. Whilst in the bath. I have like 10 things going while I'm in the bath, but it's so good. That's very good. I Yeah. Now I know what I'm doing tonight. Yes. Eating chips bath, in the bath. Bath snacks. Yes. What are some of your favorite Twitter accounts slash people you follow or like YouTube, TikTok, Instagrams? And why? So... I really love Instagram. I've sort of fallen off because it just makes me depressed. It's like Instagram has become, and Twitter to some extent, just like a minefield of like exes that I don't want to think about or accidentally like their thing or what. I'm just like, oh, fuck that. But I love TikTok. There's a really awesome trans guy named, I think, uh, Godfather Sin is his at name. And he's really fucking cool. There are like a million people on TikTok. On uh, YouTube, I really love Hiram. I love the skincare YouTubers <laughs> so much. I love Hiram. He lives in Hawaii. He's like the sweetest little twink. And he gives great skincare advice. And James Welsh, who has a twin, Robert Welsh. And the two of them have a joint channel called the Welsh Twins. And just to hear the two of them laugh in sync, like they have the same exact laugh. They're these two gay twin brothers from England and they just make my heart warm with happiness like they're just wonderful and uh, I really like the stupid like Vogue videos that are like go to bed with me <laughs> like I love like celebrity skincare and like celebrity what I eat in a day even though they all lie because they all clearly have eating disorders and they don't eat things in a day <laughs> but they're like I have a blueberry <laughs> I love that shit but yeah and Twitter who do I like? I really like Patty Harrison on Twitter. Share is a must. Just for affirmations, Share is an amazing account. I really like every time Albert Brooks tweets, even though it's like once in a blue fucking moon, Rob Reiner's tweets are great. They are classic boomer tweets. 
and just heart again heartwarming he's just like president trump should be in jail and i'm like yes rob absolutely like understatement of the century but it's still like rob reiner is out here you know saying what needs to be said so yeah those are my people oh and what about on tiktok there is an account called what about bunny and this dog talks using like uh, i've buttons seen these give. they're creepy it is I love it because this dog can now understand what tenses are. Like he speaks in the past. He's like, rope was here, now not. And I'm just like, fucking genius. I, yeah, I love the talking dogs. I love them so much. That's <laughs> the devil. I don't, I don't approve of this. Um, oh, I love it. I find it alarming. But Clem, if Clem could talk, well, if Clem could talk, she'd probably be like, feed me. If Clem me. could talk, like, she'd probably, probably just say hurtful things. Um, <laughs> oh, it's you again. Yeah, yeah Charlie, she would just Charlie nag me. Well. I feel like she nags me with attention because she like <laughs> like she'll sit like exactly out of my reach, but like in the same room as me. She'll like yeah. follow me and then be like, "I don't want you to touch me. I think you're gross." But then <laughs> clearly will... wanting my attention. Yeah, yeah. Charlie will just like he will sit. He'll just, like, rest a part of his butt on my knee or something. But then if I try to pet him, he's like, oh, no. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll be your butt rest if that's what you need. But, yeah. Rest that butt. While we're talking about Charlie, describe a day in the life of Charlie. Because that's one of the questions. Henry wrote all of the interview questions for these episodes and did a really good job. (laughs) And I get to cheat and just read the ones I think are interesting. Hell, yeah. So a day in the life of Charlie, basically, um... Can you start by just describing Charlie? Because a a lot of our listeners don't know what he looks like. (laughs) So Charlie is like a fluff... He's like a small... I'm pretty sure... He's definitely a terrier. He might be... He has, like, the Jack Russell coloring where, like, he has brown ears and, like, white gold everywhere else. He's pretty small. He can, like, fit in my lap. He basically looks like... If you're familiar with the film Lady and the Tramp... He's basically the tramp, but, like, slightly different. But that's also his personality. He's got big, bushy eyebrows as well. And sometimes when he drinks water, he gets, like, a Hitler mustache, which is, I find, hilarious. But <laughs> it just looks like he's wearing, like, a... But, yeah. Um, so we wake up, and I watch TikTok for, like, an hour just to sort of ease myself into life. And he kind of stares at me, like, why won't you take me for a walk? What the fuck's wrong with you? And we negotiate... Like, just let me watch this talk, and then we'll do it. We go for a walk, then I work, and he harasses me, and I give him some treats, but sometimes he'll just get bored and scratch me, and he will want my attention. And then at, like, four or five or whatever, I will have my first, like, blunt of the day, and that's when he knows it's time for his treat as well. I get my blunt, he gets his uh, frozen Kong full of turkey, and then, Mm. like, I read for an hour... We go out for another walk. We come back. He has zoomies usually. And then we like watch TV and chill. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty much a day in the life. Sometimes we go to the park where he harasses other dogs and like Good. tries to eat the food off of people, nice people who are just trying to have a nice picnic and he will just not. And I have to chase after him with a spray bottle to get him to leave the people alone. <laughs> so yeah, that's usually how it goes. That's good. Mr. C. Who is someone alive or dead that inspires you every day? That isn't Charlie, because obviously he's your great muse. He, yeah, he's very inspirational. Yeah. 
Um, I think the filmmaker, F.W. Murnau, who did uh, Nosferatu, he did Sunrise, he just made like some of the mo- The Last Laugh, which is a silent film with literally no dialogue, like no title cards, no nothing. Um, and he was someone who really pushed, he was really responsible for creating like a beautiful like expressionist cinema and like tricks that we use to this day and just like ways to create this atmosphere using film and using just like basic like nitrate stock and double exposure tricks and things like that and he just made this like perfect collection of movies that are all like so wonderful and then he like and he was gay and then he died in a car crash when he was filming his last movie um which is also really beautiful it's called taboo and it's about pearl hunters um, and yeah, he really inspires me. And also the writer Somerset Mom, who is one of my favorite writers of all time. And he most famous for Of Human Bondage, which is a really insane fucked up book that I adore. But to me, he is like one of the most empathetic writers in that also flamingly gay person with a fascinating life. But basically his specialty was, like, writing women characters and, you know, like, maybe not the most convincing for today. But he, like, wrote The Letter, which is, like, a great Betty Davis film and, like, wrote sort of, like, stories and plays and movies about women and sort of centering women and often about, like, sexual assault and rape and sort of trying to challenge the idea of, like, she was asking or whatever. Like, he basically was in this interesting position because he was like a British colonialist and a lot of his stories are set in like India and like he was like a spy during World War II and like a lot of his stories seem like they're like pro-colonialist but there's always like a slight twist that's kind of like we should not fucking be here and I find that like a very interesting thing for like a 30s writer to focus on and like he does it with gender as well he's kind of like why do we have these rules for some people and not for others and like to me just like to to live in that era and write about those questions is astounding and wonderful and yeah i love him name one piece of history that you think everyone should know about but that few do Ooh, okay so in the earliest days of movie making basically There was a lot of discourse around, like, before there was, like, criticism as such, there was basically a lot of back and forth about, like, is this art? Can this count as art? Because it's a machine producing images. How can we technically classify this as art? Like, people were very hung up on the fact that it's a machine and it's automated. And and so as the criticism sort of develops, like, as it's born alongside of this art form... The critics have, like, as much of a knowledge of, like, rudimentary knowledge, basically, of all the, like, first-time filmmakers that are, like, using a crank camera. So critics start to actually, like, give constructive feedback to filmmakers who would, like, take the criticism seriously and use it to sort of, like, make better films. Which I think is really fucking interesting and also, like, completely different to how we think about criticism today, where it's, like, this combative, shitty, like these like mean people who you like are impossible to please and like they're picking on artists it's like it doesn't have to be like that criticism actually is supposed to like go hand in hand with the progress of the art form and help it develop as all criticism like that's the form 
but since we don't really have like that, we don't take that approach to criticism anymore. And to me, it's really sad. And I feel like it's just interesting to look at like earlier art forms and how criticism has actually shaped them and helped them like progress rather than saying like, oh, this isn't a real thing and you're just shitting on other people's work and it's whatever. So related to that, one thing I enjoy doing sometimes is reading Roger Ebert reviews of old movies. I'm not sure if this is the thing you do too, but it seems like maybe you would enjoy it. Recently, I saw one for Josie and the Pussycats, uh, which I rewatched and is actually a super brilliant piece of like satire and commentary on like capitalism. And Roger Ebert just like tore, like attacked it and tore it apart and completely missed the point on so many levels. And it's like a deeply misogynistic review. Um, and I ju- that's just what you remind me of when talking. Have you ever read any of his, like, old... Did you ever like, go back and read his reviews? I'd recommend it if you haven't. I... Roger... Like, Siskel and Ebert, I sort of blame, probably unjustly, for the whole idea that criticism is, like, is it good or is it bad? With the, like, two star... Two thumbs up, blah, blah, blah. Like, in the 90s and home video, I feel like all that was happening. But, yeah, Roger Ebert is definitely an interesting guy. He's not my favorite writer... I do really enjoy if they still even print these. My dad has always had this book in the bathroom as long as I've lived. <laughs> like different copies of it, but it's called the Hallowell's Film Guide. And it's basically this guy, Hallowell, who like starting in the 40s and like dating back to like as many films as he could see, just tried to watch every film and write like a short, like who's in it, what's it about, stars. And that has been like a very helpful guide for me just in like getting interested in new movies or like, you should check this out if you like weird, like, gender stuff or like strong female lead or like whatever like i find those things helpful but in terms of like past criticism i really stopped being impressed with people around the mid 70s <laughs> like it stopped for me i draw the line at like walter kerr kenneth tynan to me like and obviously pauline kale like that's after pauline kale like eh, there's not anybody i'm that psyched about because again criticism seems to take this turn where it's more oriented to like so is it a good movie should i see it rather than like here's what this movie is, here's what's interesting about it, maybe some shortcomings, but, like, make up your own mind. I'm not here to tell you how to think, which is the criticism that I love. And just criticism that's, like, beautiful writing, not oriented to even, like, you know, tell someone whether or not they should see something. How do you find media? Because you have, like, a pretty uh, esoteric <laughs> taste, and um, and it's also, like, pretty eclectic. You you tend to like stuff from, like, a, a certain area, era, but then you constantly are pulling out references to stuff yeah. that, like, I have a weird, deep vault of stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know that one <laughs> constantly. That's a big part of yeah. why I find you delightful. How do you find Aww. things? I basically... It's a process that I don't think of as research, but... I'm basically always trying to... I always have an antenna up, and this, like, started from childhood because, like, as a, I've always been very introverted. Um, I've always had very little faith in human beings. <laughs> I've always been very disappointed in, like, relationships of any kind, like, with my parents or friendships or whatever. Like, there's always been a point where I'm like, I don't think this person actually is gonna understand. And sometimes that means transness, and sometimes it just means, like, my own quirky whatever. But, like, always, like, I also had, like, a childhood video store, and I would just go and, like, rent. Like, at first I just rented every Mel Brooks movie because they made me so happy and just, like, made me laugh so much. And Zero Mostel is in the producers, so, like, obviously. But, yeah, I would just, like, look at, like, 
the covers of things that I found interesting. Like when you'd have the VHS cover, I'd be like, oh, that looks really cool. Like that's interesting key art or like, oh, I really like that director. And then I started to search by director and like just see as much as I could of a certain art actor or director's work. And that has led into like, I don't see a lot of modern stuff unless it really sounds like it's gonna be something that I will like, which is like once in a blue moon. Like usually there's one release a year that I'm interested in. It's usually like a British thing that like four people see and I'm just like, this film is heaven. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like always kind of looking for stuff. I'm always on like film Twitter. I'm always like, there are a couple of accounts that I like film noir accounts that are like, check out this weird like little scene movie if you can. Like, I'm always interested in those things because in my experience, like, the truly interesting work that you're going to find is not, like, especially if you're looking in the past, it's not going to be, like, Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind. It's going to be, like, that weird 30s movie where that's an all-female cast and it's just about, like, women at war. Or, like, this weird 40s movie that's kind of about, like, how, what happens when, like, the women who go and get jobs during World War II, their husbands come back and they have to, like, be housewives again. Like, those sort of issues that usually have something to do with gender and history, and it sort of gives you, like, a bird's-eye view into, like, the propaganda of the moment, which I just find really interesting, because, like, most pre-60s cinema is gender propaganda, <laughs> for better. It's telling you how to be a man or how to be a woman, and it's like, if you can get past the grossness of that, it's fascinating territory to mine. If you could be a Downton Abbey character, who would you be and why? Ooh, okay. Let me see. Oh, man, that's hard. You know what? Hugh Bonneville, because he's a good dad. He's a, you know, solid, solid dad. He's not an asshole that I can recall. He's genuine, generally like a pretty he understanding some, guy. Some questionable stuff in, I have in not a few seen of the seasons, but yeah. But generally a good, a nice dad, just a, a just a yeah. aristocrat, which has its issues. Right. Uh, if you could have a mythical creature for a roommate, what would you want for your roommate? I would want a manticore because I think <gasps> lions are very cool as long as they don't eat me. And it's like a winged bird lion. It's a, I think a dragon and a lion, which is fucking great. I would just ask them questions all day. I would be like the worst, like transphobic. Like, so what's it like to be a manticore? Like, I would be so think- obnoxious, but I would very, I would really want to live with a manticore because they're What are the downsides of that? Do they have scorpion tails? Yes, they can sting. They have like dragon claws and scorpion tails. Yeah, and what are the downsides to a manticore roommate? It could maul me in the night. That's always a possibility. That's true of every roommate, that's, technically. You're right. you're right. Yeah, just, you know, that's always a risky run. Like, I feel like it would be, uh, it would always have employment. I would never have to worry about rent because, like, who's not going to hire a fucking manticore? Like, who doesn't need yeah. a manticore for their business? Best best like mascot maybe that's, not him that's and a good answer charlie him and charlie might spar but would work it out that's fair can what does scorpion taste like do you think it tastes like lobster Ooh, good i bet mm, i feel like probably less a lot of seafoody meat. though because it's like a land bug right yeah it is like a yeah but there's not like a lot of meat i don't think in the i mean there's the not a lot of meat on a 
That's shrimp. True. That's true. But, like, a lobster shrimp. has, like, the chunky... It's, like, the tail. Yeah, it's got that big tail. Yeah. And the, the claws. Yeah, I'm sure people... People eat them. People eat I just haven't. I would like right. to. My Are there weird bugs really... you'd like to eat? I have eaten weird bugs. <laughs> My friend is really into eating bugs. Um, and she spends time in Mexico and really loves Mexico and she will bring back a bag of like grasshoppers and they're good. I've had like grasshopper flour before and stuff. Oh, and that was interesting. It's good for like, yeah, like cookies. And that was nice. Yeah. It's kind of nutty. It's basically just like a crunchy snack. They're good. Crunchy snack. Do you know that giant grasshopper thing from like, I think it's from like New Zealand. Maybe it's Tasmania somewhere in like the, Australia region, but it's huge, and I've always wanted to eat one of those because I because they're just big, and that makes me want to eat it for some reason. Yeah, I mean, like a grasshopper is very cool, or crickets rather. No, crickets are what she brought home, but grasshoppers and praying mantises—they're things where I'm like, they're very cool when I see them in the wild. Thinking about them being large would terrify the shit. Like a large yeah. praying mantis would That's horrify. That's scary. Me. But they yeah, are a so small cool. praying mantis is actually kind of frightening. They it have, is. they have knife hands. They have, but they're so cool. I, there was a praying mantis outside my apartment at one point in my last apartment here, and I just like sat on the stoop and looked at it. <laughs> I was just like, "My friend, you're cool. I'm glad Let's be you're buds. Were, yeah, we're bug buds. Bug buds, exactly. There were also a lot of hummingbirds at that apartment. I really appreciate. I need to just get a hummingbird feeder. The fuck is my problem? Do people eat hummingbirds? I hope not. Because how would you catch one, first of all? Secondly, they're majestic and wonderful. That's true. Yeah. I I feel like they're too smart for that. But yeah, I love love hummingbirds. Every time I see them, it's like nature's antidepressant. I'm just like, hummingbird. I love them. Oh, also, Butch Birds is an excellent... Instagram account. Please follow it. It's just birds who are butch lesbians, obviously. It's delightful. Can't I'm so into it. this. I love it is... bird watching, and yes. this sounds exactly at my alley. Butch yeah. birds? Butch birds. On Instagram. Yes. Oh, so good. There are Describe so many. your relationship to makeup and how it's changed over the years. So, yeah, it took me a long time to get comfortable with wearing makeup. And also to get good at it. And yeah, during quarantine, it's been sad because I just have not... I've just been breaking out like fucking crazy. So like, I'm very paranoid about putting on makeup and then putting on a mask. So I usually just will not put on makeup because like, like all on this area, I just keep fucking breaking out and it makes me not happy. But I love wearing makeup. I love doing like crazy eyeshadow. I used to, like, work at a grocery store and just wear, like, blue lipstick and paint my eyebrows red and just, like, totally scandalize everyone who was just buying, like, chips and guacamole. Like, but it's been wonderful. But yeah, it's like, it started as sort of a way to feel, feel happy with my appearance, I guess. And now it's like, I think the frustration for a long time is like, how can I be masculine and wear makeup? Like, I want to wear makeup as a guy, but often when I wear makeup, people just think that I'm a girl because I'm wearing makeup. So navigating that is a bit challenging, but for the most part, I just like don't care anymore. I'm like, see me however you want. Like, I look fucking awesome. 
I love just like do a look like all the way up to my eyebrows and then just like wing it out like there's nothing better but so I'm excited for COVID to be over so I can fucking actually do that again <laughs> without breaking out. Do you feel like increased visibility of like non-binary people over the past decade has kind of helped with your ability to like wear makeup out in public and have that be a thing that feels okay and goes okay? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I feel like non-binary representation has been... I feel like it's only ramped up in the past couple of years in, like, a way that is, like, visible. Which is good. Yeah. But it's also, for me, it's like... I feel like every sort of step toward progress and inclusion that we make is, like, for me, generationally, like, just a bit too late to actually (laughs) have an impact on my life. But I'm kind of like, you know what? Like... There's a new generation of trans kids who don't have to just go through utter hell, hopefully. Like, and that's absolutely good enough for me. Like, great. (laughs) Like, I'll take it. Wait, so... Thank you for listening to our most recent episode of Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon. We are currently on break from our regular episodes before returning for season two, which will come out on March 22nd, wherever you get your podcasts, or if you back us at $2 or more a month on Patreon, you will have access to the first episode of season two one week early. Our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash totally trans. And if you back us at $5 or more per week, you will get an on-air thank you. If you back us by March 14th, You'll get a thank you during the first episode of season two. We also have a Tee Public store that you can find by just looking up Totally Trans on Tee Public. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because we live in a cyberpunk nightmare oligopoly. Join us next season for new episodes, new guests, and new characters. Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon, is co-hosted by me, Henry Jardina, and you can find me on Twitter at PunkGroucho. You can also find me at henryjardina.substack.com, where I write about film and masculinity. And co-hosted by me, Ada Rhodes Short, who can be found on Twitter at TheAdaRhodes. That is the underscore A-D-A underscore R-H-O-D-E-S. All quotes and audio clips are being used under fair use. And our music is royalty-free and was found on Pixabay. Until next season, keep searching.